0: Welcome to Season 5, Episode 3 of Viking Story. My name is Alan Laycock-Fuchs, and you are listening to an accompanying podcast to a novel that I've written, which is set in the Viking Age. Today's episode is entitled Unique Selling Points, or USPs, and there are a number of USPs to my novel. And I want to be clear about something, too. I didn't set out to just make a completely unorthodox novel. I'm not even sure of having so many... USPs is is good. Uh on the one hand, you know, it's it's refreshing, but on the other hand, it's a little bit dangerous because this isn't, you know, conventional, but as you know if you've been following my podcasts for a while now, I don't read a lot of historical fiction myself, so I haven't really been influenced by a lot of it and I think that's the reason that I have sort of a, a completely new approach to it, but yeah, for better or for worse, uh, there are a lot of unique selling points to my novel, and today I'm going to talk about some more of them. So last episode, obviously, I already spoke about the margin notes and the academic historical fiction genre. So today I'm going to look at a few other things. One of those things I want to talk about is the Viking perspective. So this is something that... It, it's been a process, actually. it's It's been changing for a while, I've noticed. And I think it all goes back to the origin of the perspective of people who were living in the British Isles before the Vikings arrived on the scene. And these people were often monks. um, But yeah, the descendants of these people, a lot of them now today live in North America, in the US, obviously in Canada, UK, and other places as well. But especially in, in the US, for example, when there are movies made in Hollywood, it's quite easy to go back in time a little bit and cast the vikings as the villains because this is how they were seen by as i said those people who were there right before the vikings arrived because the vikings showed up on the scene and it's true they raided they ransacked actually the word ransack is derived directly from old norse that's an indication of the impact that they had there but they they pillaged they raided they attacked so they certainly were quite violent and the the I want to call them the original people of the British Isles, but I guess that might not be completely accurate, but at least the people who were living there at the time when the Vikings first showed up had every right to be upset. And I think this attitude towards the Vikings that we see a lot, especially coming from native English authors, native English directors, it it stems from this. So I'm talking a few decades ago now, but yeah, you would often see in movies... In TV shows, the Vikings were the bad guys. And one of the things I like about the Vikings TV show that came out recently, or at least about a decade ago now, actually, but at least they show things from the Viking perspective. So the Vikings are finally the protagonists. And for once, they're humanized a little bit more, you know? And this is good. But still, you have this bias that what tends to be depicted are scenes and events that happened and transpired in England because, or or sometimes the New World as well, because again, I think it's a little bit of self-interest, but these native English speakers from America, from the UK, from Canada, from wherever, they have a connection to these lands, and this is the kind of history that interests them. So we saw this a lot in Vikings TV show, even The Last Kingdom, so Bernard Cornwell's Saxon stories, they take place primarily in England. And again, it's just self-interest. Bernard Cornwell himself traces his ancestry back to his main character, Uhtred. And yeah, completely understandable. Okay, fine. There certainly was a lot of Viking history in England. There was even a little bit in the New World as well. So if that's what you want to focus on, fair enough. But something that I do quite differently in my novel, as many of you know, I am Canadian, so I am a native English speaker. But Almost my entire adult life, I've spent living either in Scandinavia or very near to it. And so my interests are not with England at all, really. I've only been to England once in my entire life. I've never been to London, even though I live in Europe. I, For some reason, I've just never been to London. I did go to England once. I had a contact who lived in Stoke, which is in the Midlands. And my plan was to go there for a week. Because Stoke was so centrally located, I was going to do sort of jump off and go to various places. I was going to go to London, I was going to go to Cardiff, I was going to go to all these places around the UK, possibly Glasgow as well. But what ended up happening was I arrived and I was sick. I was very ill and I was just completely bedridden for the entire week. It was really unfortunate. And what I will say is that I think a few years before I arrived in Stoke, Stoke had been voted the worst place to live in the UK. Sorry to any Stoke listeners listening, because I can confirm that when I was there, it probably hadn't changed much uh, to enhance its reputation. But all I know is Stoke. That's all I've ever seen. I would have loved to have gone to York and, and seen some more Viking sites. Hopefully, one day I will get back there. But as it is now, and, and I should, you know, just for transparency's sake, my background is actually English as well. A lot of my family, I've traced them back to sort of Yorkshire, um, North East England. Uh, which is interesting because that's also part of where the Dane law was. So, could be that I also have some Scandinavian ancestry. Kind of likely, actually. Some of my other ancestors are from the south of England. And then I actually even have ancestors from Scotland and from Northern Ireland and from Ireland. So, primarily, I mean, that whole area is my background. But me personally, I've just never been there. And yeah, I am interested, of course. But I'm more interested, I would say, in Scandinavia. That's where I've spent the majority of my life and the majority of my focus. So when it comes to my novel, almost nothing takes place in England. I'd say less than 1% of my novel takes place in England. Actually, it's just the introduction, that part that I read a season or so ago. That's the only scene that takes place in England. Obviously, that scene is referenced a little bit more later on throughout the the novel, but it's got to be less than 1% of my novel takes place in England. And I would say... If I was to put a number to it, roughly 90% of my novel takes place in Scandinavia um, or on the seas, on the open ocean between various Scandinavian lands like Greenland, like Iceland, like Norway. So this is where my plot takes place. Admittedly, probably about 5 to 10% of my novel does take place in the New World. So you could say there's a little bit of self-interest creeping in. But again, I would go back to that 90% Um, 90% in Scandinavia. So this is what I think makes my novel unique from a native English speaker's perspective because you don't see this a lot that almost the entire novel takes place in Scandinavia. But that's what interested me. I I wanted to focus and I wanted to sort of shed light on some of the events that took place in the Norse homelands themselves rather than just on what's been documented in England, for example. So... I think that's been been done. It's been done very well. And uh, for me, it just didn't interest me as much as Scandinavia. So that's, that's a USP for sure. Another USP in my novel, I would say, is my use of Old Norse words. And this was a decision I made because, as I've said for many episodes, many seasons now, I do believe that the Old Norse words can, in many cases, speak for themselves. They don't need to be anglicized. And actually anglicizing them confuses them a little bit. So... Sure, the advantage of anglicizing Old Norse words is that to a native English speaker they're easier to read. But, again, I just don't think it matters that much. I'd rather somebody read a word incorrectly in their mind, but at least not have the preconditioned bias comes with an associated word that they already know. Best example, as always, giants. So, why do we call the Jotna giants? Why can't we just call them Jotna and and let the word speak for itself? You don't know what a Jotun is, then read on, you know? Another Old Norse word that is a little bit controversial that I use in my novel is Valholt. And this is the Old Norse word for Valhalla. And people have questioned me, why would you change Valhalla? It's basically canon at this point. Everyone knows Valhalla. Nobody knows Valholt. Uh, why would you change this? But for me... I kind of look at it the same way as I look at Bombay, India. So those of you listening who are old enough might remember Bombay. This is uh, the city in India. But this is actually an anglicized version of a name of the city. And it's, uh, it's not truly representative of the name that the original inhabitants would have given it. This is an anglicized version. So in 1995, I believe, roughly mid-90s anyways, the name was officially changed to Mumbai. And for those younger listeners listening right now, you're probably more familiar with Mumbai. But before 1995, Bomb- Bombay was canon, I would say. This is the more common name. So, But Mumbai is closer to the original name that, that many of the inhabitants would have used. So I wanted to do that with Valhut, with Valhalla. I wanted to use a word... That was closer to what the old Norse would have used themselves. And my feeling is, right now Valhalla is Bombay, and maybe someday Valhut will be Mumbai. So we'll see. I, I just wanted to do something a little closer to uh, to what the old Norse would have used. Another unique selling point of my novel, I would say, is my use of kennings. Now. Kennings are actually something I've never spoken about on this podcast before, I don't believe. So what they are, kennings are metaphors or figures of speech that the Norse used sort of to describe things in a poetic way. So they were very poetic in their nature, I would say. And to give you an example of a kenning, so instead of calling a ship a ship, uh, you might say it in a different way. You might call it a wave's horse. Now, obviously, if you think of a wave, you're thinking of water and water what would be the equivalent of something on the water that would be the equivalent of a horse on land? Obviously, it's a ship. So a wave's horse, you're talking about a ship. Another example, a little bit more abstract, would be a raven feeder. So what do ravens feed on? Well, one of the things they can typically feed on, especially in the Viking Age, were corpses. So if you're feeding the raven, you're feeding them corpses, who creates a lot of corpses for the ravens to feed on? Probably a warrior. So this is sort of a poetic way to describe a warrior. You call them a raven's feeder. So I, I tried to use some of these kennings in my novel. I didn't really use them in the conventional way. So again, we can thank Snorri Smitlissen for kennings because he wrote something called the Prose Edda. And he provided a guide for how to use kennings, including many examples of kennings. And he did this for future reference. He didn't want this art to be lost. He didn't want these figures of speech to be lost. And I think he sort of intended them to be used as they had been more in in poetry. But yeah, I've used them in my novel, in sometimes just regular character speech as well. But I think Snorri would be happy that I'm keeping the Kennings alive, because that was his intent in writing them down. He didn't want the knowledge to be lost. And... Some of them get even more abstract. You have to know Norse mythology to understand them. You have to know certain stories about the Norse gods, but they're beautiful metaphors and I don't want them to be lost. And so that's why I have incorporated. I'm not so much of a poet myself, but I wanted to use Kennings. And so this is how I've incorporated them and kept them alive. But again, all thanks to Snorri Sturluson for that. The last thing I'm going to touch on, just a little tidbit of information for you, because I think it's... I don't know, I think it's kind of neat, but uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about the title of my novel. So I've sort of created an overall title, I've called it Bloodsword Saga, and my idea is that there's going to be many chapters, so many novels in Bloodsword Saga, and each one is going to have its own name. And at the beginning when I started writing, I didn't really have a name, I knew it was going to be Bloodsword Saga, but I didn't have sort of like a title of this part of the story. And I'm a casual basketball fan, I would say. Don't follow the NBA too closely, admittedly, but I am originally from Toronto and I do follow the Toronto Raptors when they're in the playoffs, especially. And there was a a motto that they started to market, I would say, and their motto was fear the north. So it was Toronto Raptors fear the north. And I was like, yeah, so fear the north, That's that's pretty good. Because, okay, obviously Canada's in the north of North America, so this is where it comes from. Scandinavia is often in the north. In particular, my character Bloodsword lives in the north of Norway. So, Fear the North just made total sense to me. And, uh, so that's, that's where that comes from. It was only a little bit later that I learned it's actually not Fear the North. It's much more Canadian than that. The motto is We the North. So it's very inclusive, much more friendly. So... I considered changing my title to Bloodsword Saga, We the North, but it didn't quite have the same vibe to it that I was looking for. I think Fear the North fits my character a lot better. So this was actually a fortuitous mistake on my part. I came about the title of my novel in a very strange way, I, I suppose. But yeah, that's, that's where it comes from. So just a little tidbit of information for you, just a, a little Easter egg. But uh, I think that's where I'm going to leave things for now. But before we go... If you are interested in purchasing my novel, it is available for sale on Amazon as we speak. Just head on over to Amazon and search for my name, Alan Laycock Fuchs. The title of the book is Bloodsword Saga, Fear the North, but by searching my name, that's the easiest way to find it. Also head on over to stclairpublications.com. This is the publishing house behind my novel. On their website, you can learn a lot more about them. Also read about some of the other authors that work together with St. Clair Publications. Also see some of the books on their online shop that are for sale. There's a lot of interesting things on offer over there. And finally, Alitu, if you're interested in podcasting, if you want to support this podcast in the process while at the same time making your life easier with editing, then head on over to the link that's in the episode description below. Click on that. Alitu is an excellent tool for editing, makes editing a whole lot faster, a whole lot simpler allows you to concentrate more on the content of your podcast that's all for today in the next episode we're going to do a little bit of a, a deep dive into my main character and his characteristics but until then if you'd like to get in touch if you've got questions if you're just a fan and want to say hello uh, i'd love to hear from you you can reach me at vikingstoryfaq at outlook.com once again that's vikingstoryfaq in the next episode it's going to be all about bloodsword i look forward to seeing you then Q thor's thunder